When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, my name is Giles Brandreth, and I'm sitting in the kitchen in Oxford of my friend... Cece Dent. And we are a pair of people who love words and language. We adore words and language. And I first met Susie, oh, I don't know, 20, 25 years ago on Countdown. And we've been friends ever since. And she, of course, knows more about words, I think, than anybody in the world. <laughs> and that's true. And we meet... Mm-mm, with a mouthful of coffee, sorry. We meet once a week. Uh, sometimes in our kitchen, sometimes in London, sometimes we're going to go on location. Can we go to your house sometimes? We yeah, can come to my. Place. I'd love you to come to my house. Or, or I thought sometimes we could go to places associated with people who are wordsmiths. Like I love. Oh, this shows you we're coming from <laughs> Susie Dent's kitchen because just something has flopped through the door. The noisiest letterbox in the world. The noisiest letterbox in the world. Yeah. Anyway, here we are. This is something rhymes with purple. It's our weekly chunter about words and language. I learn a lot uh, from Susie about language and about life, it must be said. Hmm. Today, we thought we'd talk about theatre, because both of us have been on a theatre tour, Hmm. and both of us are going on a theatre tour again, either later in the year or next year. When are you next going? I'm just doing a few more in the autumn, so same show, um, just a few extra places. And what's it called? It's called The Secret Life of Words. Very good. Have you been to The Roses at Tewkesbury yet? No. Fascinating theatre. Uh, there was a hole in the stage when I went there, literally a hole in the stage with a white line around it, and the man in the wings said, oh, don't, don't, do miss the hole in the stage. I said, what's the point? He said, oh, we're, we're waiting for the grant to mend it. It was a hole in the stage. Uh, it was the theatre are... where Eric Morecambe died. Oh. Yeah, I died too, but in a different way. <laughs> he didn't recover from his. I just, in fact, it went very well. Um, so I'm doing some It's more. interesting, that, isn't it? Because if you think about the language of comedians as well, very often it's quite um, apocalyptic and dark. So I died, you know, I blew the roof off if, yeah. if they've done incredibly well. Yes, I died, in fact. Corpsed. You, yeah, corpsed. Oh, well, we can talk about the language of theatre. We can. My show is called Break, Break a, leg. a Leg. Tell us where that came from. Well, now this is interesting. Break a leg, it's an expression meaning good luck yeah. in the theatre. Yeah. Nobody is quite sure where it comes from. I think the, the explanation that seems to me to be most credible is this. Uh, in a theatre, if you picture the stage, either side of the stage there are black curtains and you're hidden when you're behind the black curtains. If you're in the wings, we'll come on to why they're called wings in a moment, but when you're in the wings, you're behind black curtains. They are known as legs. They always have been. L-E-G-S. I suppose they're, they're like legs. They hang down from the roof of the theatre. Yeah. And uh, in the olden days, understudies were not paid unless they actually appeared in the show. They got no money. And so they wanted, obviously, to appear because then they get paid. And on the nights when they did break a leg, they broke through the edge of the theatre. They passed those black curtains. They broke through the leg. That was a good event for them. They'd broken a leg. Well done. Good luck. You've Can made I some money. Can just be the party pooper just for a second? Okay. I always am. But the only problem I have with that is that there are 
other idioms in other languages that express the same thing. And I don't know whether those oh. curtains, for example, in a German theatre would be called Beine, B-E-I-N-E, but there is an expression in German, Hals und Beinbruch, meaning may you break your neck and your leg. Ah. And that came before, we think, break a leg. So you think it's a kind of inverse joke, meaning break a leg, meaning don't break a leg. Good luck. Yeah, well, it's strange. It's I don't think we actually know where Hals und Beinbruch originated either it's it's a very strange thing but then the theater is full of strange uh, situations and you mentioned understudies not being paid have you heard the expression the ghost walks the ghost walks tonight yes, yes i have that means it's payday so it's said to be a reference to a 19th century theater company who hadn't been paid for over a month um and the player of hamlet because it was a production of hamlet refused to come on stage until all the salaries were paid and then the ghost would walk mm. yeah i like that Years ago, when I played Hamlet when I was very young, and I wasn't very good, it was not a success, I admit it, I was fascinated by the relationship between Hamlet and Ophelia. How intimate were they? Because sometimes in the Shakespeare text, it's it's opaque. There's mm-hmm. clearly something been going on, but it's not stated exactly what's been going on. And I went to a, an older actor in the company who was then playing the part of Polonius, uh, but he'd played Hamlet himself many years before. And I said to this old actor, what do you think is going on? What is the relationship between Hamlet and Ophelia. How intimate are they? How how close are they? You know, are they lovers? And does Hamlet sleep with Ophelia? And the old actor replied, "Well, I don't know about the West End, laddie, but we always did on tour." <laughs> okay, moving swiftly <laughs> on. Uh, shall I give you some of the um, the old terms for theatre? Because they're quite yes. lovely. Um, well. Today they notice the factory quite often, don't they, I think? I think that's one of the the, the, um, terms that they would use. But throughout the century, it's just been known as the blood tub because of the violent melodramas that they used to have. Melodrama was hugely popular. Uh, it yes. isn't. It isn't now. Farce continues to be popular, but melodrama in the Victorian theatre it was the mainstay. In, in Paris, the main theatre street was called the Boulevard des Crimes, meaning the, the Boulevard of Crime, because there were these lurid melodramas. Now we get that on television and in the movies. Yeah, we do. Endless detective mysteries, uh, movie, uh, but you don't get it so much in the theatre. Theatre is more full of of straight drama or musicals or light entertainment. You don't get melodrama in theatre. But in Victorian times, melodrama was massive. Yeah. So it was called the bath, the bloodbath. The blood tub. The blood tub. Um, I'm going down to the blood tub. The bug house, because that was the theatrical equivalent of the flea pit. The bug house? The bug house. This is because unclean people went to the theatre? Yeah, I think it was just, you know, sometimes they would just be slightly down at heel. So it was a flea pit. The venues rather than the people, but maybe both. Um, Speaking of which, we need to talk about the peanut gallery. Uh, Said to be the rowdiest section of the house where bad actors would... I think we've talked a little bit about this, but... um, would be pelted with peanuts, which was a cheap snack available. There you go, the peanut gallery and the gods, of course, closest to the heavens. But anyway, going back to the theatres, the gaff, they were called, the honky-tonk, where the cheap musicals would be, and the grind house, that was for burlesque. Oh, well, because the girls were doing the grind, they were grinding away, were they? I think possibly. Um, in my book, which I'm looking at now, where I did, um, I, I read a book about the jargon of particular tribes of people, including actors, I've just spotted the word fluffer. Oh, somebody fluffs their lines? Not quite. Oh, what is a fluffer? A fluffer fluffer in the porn industry 
is, well, yes. So a fluffer is a person employed to prepare or warm up an audience. Absolutely right. But in the porn industry, it's somebody who prepares an actor in a slightly different way. Oh, fluffs them up. Fluffs, well, yes, yeah, so to speak. Anyway, I don't know. No, no, that, that's fascinating. I don't know why that. No, but up. since you mentioned the fluffer. Popped up, so to speak. Years ago, years and years ago, I mean, 40, 50 years ago, I was sent to, when I was a journalist, young journalist, I was sent to write a report about the porn industry making movies. Mm-hmm. And I spent a day on the film set. And they were very cheaply made in those days. And one actress had to play several of the characters. And because in those days uh, people didn't shave their pubic hair, mm-hmm. she was supplied with merkins. Yes, merkins. A merkin is a pubic wig, isn't it? It is. Spelt? M-E-R-K-I-N. Merkin. And she had different. She had a blonde merkin, a brunette merkin, um, a very dark merkin, and a ginger merkin for the comedy scenes. Isn't that extraordinary? Yes. Yeah. And the makeup artist was a sort of fluffer, I suppose, I who uh, prepared... Well, who fluffed the merkin. Who fluffed the merkin. Why are we talking about this? Anyway. Okay, you brought it up. It's in your book. <laughs> I don't. No, it's in my book in the, in the kind of clean sense. Um, although it's not... Yeah, let's move on. Let's talk about some of the other jargon that's used in the theatre, shall we? And then I'd love to give you my favourite theatrical origin of all time. Um, Tpong. Do you know what Tpong is no. in the theatre? It's to give maximum projection to your lines. Oh, Tpong. Um, this is opposed to pinging, which is speaking very softly. To ping. To ping and pong. Um, Will you pong that line? Will you ping that? It's a very... I've never heard... I mean, I have to say... I've worked in the theatre off and on for 50 years, and I've worked with some of the, the great directors. I've never heard these expressions okay. used. Will you pong? Will you ping? <laughs> I, but I get it. Pong and ping. Gagging is adding lines that aren't in the original text, so ad-libbing, in other words. I can believe that. Ad-lib from the Latin for, for pleasure, ad-libitum. Oh, ad libitum means for pleasure, not for free. For pleasure. So they're winging it, winging it also from the theatre, because it would refer to people who would supply lines from the wings or people who were just brought on at such short notice they were literally learning their lines in the wings they were winging it there was a famous actor called john junius booth who was the father of john wilkes booth the man who assassinated president lincoln and john junius booth was a notorious drinker and night after night he was heard calling into the wings what's the line what's the line Occasionally, he could be heard calling into the wings, what's the play? What's the play? <laughs> That's very Boris, Boris-like, Boris isn't it? Apparently, did, you, did you read Jeremy Vine's account of Boris Johnson at uh, various after-dinner speaking events where he would literally stumble in and say, where are we? What's the event? Uh, and then knew would, perfectly well. Well, then he would get on stage, uh, say nothing about the actual occasion, but to, to blunder through this kind of tour de force of anecdotes, etc., uh, tell a joke for which he'd forgotten the punchline, et cetera, et cetera. And Jeremy just said, this is this is amazing. Having been so worried, he was mightily impressed by Boris's performance. Ten years later or so, he's at another event. Exactly the same thing happens. Boris stumbles in, says, what's the event? Gets up on stage, absolute verbatim, the same speech as before, absolute verbatim forgetting of the punchline. He knew exactly what he was oh, doing, marvelous. but this is his... Well, that's quite reassuring, isn't it? Is it? I don't oh, yes, I think it is. It means that he's a star. I saw Ken Dodd yeah, 50 years apart. a star apart. without substance. Anyway, let's not get on to political views. No, let's not. You're giving me your favourite theatre expression. Oh, my favourite origin of all time. Um, because it's so literal. So the thing about etymology is you very, very rarely get to pinpoint the exact moment that a phrase or a word was born. So if you look in the Oxford English Dictionary, you'll find the very first record that we can find to date... But 
it's very rare, particularly these days with slang and the internet, etc. It's very rare to, to get the exact moment. But we know with stealing someone's thunder, we know where it comes from. And you have to go back to nine, uh, 1704 and London's Drury Lane Theatre and the actor playwright um, called, sorry, he was a playwright and a manager called John Dennis. And What year is this? This is 1704, oh, I wonderful. think. And he produced a play which, by all accounts, was rather turgid. Um, but it had one thing going for it, which is a th- which was a thunder-making machine. It was a machine that replicated the sound of thunder. I think it was one of those sort of metal sheets that was then hit. No. Was it not? You know this. I, I do know this, How- and there is one. I, the only reason I know this is there is one still on display at the Theatre Royal in Bristol. Okay. It's a thunder machine, and essentially what it is, is it is... Metal is involved. Yeah. There are like, imagine a tube of metal cut in half. So it's like a scoop of metal, mm-hmm. uh, like a, a, a funnel of metal. And they roll like cannonballs down it. Amazing. And it's it's the rolling of the thunder that makes that thunder sound. Excellent. I don't know if his was the first, but it was very impressive in terms of the sound that reverberated from the stage. Despite this, his play closed after a really short run. He was... According to accounts by contemporaries, he was a very nice man. He went along to the next play, the next production that succeeded his, which was Macbeth. We can get on to Macbeth, the Scottish play. And he was sitting there quite happily until from the stage came the sound of his thunder-making machine. And two people of the time wrote records of what he did at this moment, which was he stood up and he shouted, damn them, they will not let my play run, but they steal my thunder. Isn't that amazing? Very literal beginning. I love that. You mentioned Macbeth. Why is it known, they call it the Scottish play, and it's supposed to be bad luck to mention the play Macbeth by title. I'm assuming there is some tragedy associated with a production of Macbeth. I think you will know this better than me. I think there was one particular production where it seemed to be just beset by uh, by troubles. Um, But... Yeah, more, more than that, actually, I don't know. I don't know. Perhaps it's because of the witches, the three witches. Oh, that the play is cursed in some Possibly. way because of the three witches. Yeah. But it's very much a rule. You can, if you're in the play, say the name Macbeth. What about, say, I always, every night on my tour, I, I, I tell the story of stealing someone's thunder, and I mention the word Macbeth. Is this the name Macbeth? Is this not good? Is this why... It's not good. Life it's, doesn't it, always go my it's, way. It could be that you're bringing bad luck upon yourself. Okay. I'm the, not going to do that again. Uh, oh, should we have a break? This, oh, who interfered? Now, this is interesting. The interval, you might think, has been going on for years. The interval, because we're going to have an interval now, uh, was introduced only in Victorian times. I think the father of the interval was a man called Sir Augustus Harris, who ran Drury Lane Theatre. He was known as Old Drury Alanus. He put on famous pantomimes at Drury Lane Theatre, starring people like Dan Leno and Mary Lloyd. Anyway, there's, in fact, a marvellous bust. If ever you go to Drury Lane, that huge theatre in Covent Garden, people don't see this bust. They they go into the theatre and there's a wonderful statue of Sir Noel Coward. But outside the theatre, on the corner, there's a bust of this uh, theatre manager, Sir Augustus Harris. He invented the interval. Until then, if people wanted to leave during performance, they just got up and left. And he came up with the idea, shows were so long, of having an interval. And then they used to sell 
oranges mm. uh, for people to eat during the interval. In fact, Tommy Trinder, a great comedian, once said to me, I was talking about pantomime. I said, what do you remember about pantomime in the early days? He said, all I can remember of pantomime in the early days, guys, is um, the smell of oranges and wee-wee. <laughs> <laughs> but then they introduced things like ice creams when ice creams came along and then alcohol and all of that began. So he invented the interval. We're going to have an interval now. And then after the interval, back to the theatre. Do you ever wonder how celebrities order food? Like, is Sarah Paulson a Diet Coke or a regular Coke girlie? <laughs> Some peasant Coke? No. Or how does Sofia Vergara order a pizza? No, not, no tomatoes. I cannot eat tomatoes. tomatoes? Yes. Are you killed with mushrooms? Not really. Okay. <laughs> if these are the details you need, and I know you do, I have the podcast for you. I'm Jesse Tyler Ferguson, and on my podcast, Dinners on Me, I take some notable friends of mine out to dinners in Los Angeles and New York City. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. That thing was delicious. Have we made a great mistake mentioning the word Macbeth? Well, we're not in the theatre. We're not in the theatre. So I think we're okay. Up. Yes. Because um, if you're in the theatre, you know, you have to come out of your dressing room. Yes. Turn three revolve times. three times, then go back in again. But you have to spit over your left shoulder as well. Spit over your left shoulder or maybe yes. throw some salt over your left shoulder. Oh, interesting. I always steal sachets of salt from Starbucks for this very purpose in case I want to tell one of my favourite Macbeth stories. Go on. What's the origin of the expression, though, Susie Dent? Well, nobody's quite sure, but some believe that it's because Shakespeare or um, or his compositors or revisers are said to have used the spells of real witches in the text. And because of this, it angered the witches. You mean hubble, bubble, toil and trouble, these were real spells? I don't know if it was these ones or not. To be honest, I'm not quite sure. I need to ask my friend Charlotte, who's a Shakespearean expert, but it purportedly angered the witches and caused them to curse the play. So the play has been cursed... It's yeah, plus the there sh- have been numerous productions at which various things, things have gone wrong. Yes. And it's one of the shortest plays. People often think there's a, an act missing with it. So things have been going wrong with Macbeth over the years. For a long time. Interesting. Have that? you ever appeared in a play yourself? Um, not a play. I've been in a couple of sitcoms, but not a play. Oh, sitcoms, no. as yourself. Well, apart or... from as a tree at school and, you know, the usual kind of stuff. You were a tree at school. I was a tree. And you got the, 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 the school... I was a tree in a librarian, what can I say? The school magazine wrote her performance was very wooden as the tree, did they? <laughs> no, they resisted that <laughs> No, they should too. have done. Um, and, a sc- and, a, and a what, a librarian? No, no, I was, a, I was a librarian at school when I really wanted to be, you know, head of... Sport or something like that. But did I was you? the chief librarian. You were actually the yes. chief librarian. That's what you did at school. Of course you did. I was. And were you like me? Did you sit in the front row of the class? I sat in the middle of the front row with my hand permanently No, up. I didn't. I just wish I'd been a bit naughtier. I'm making up for it now. I, oh, God. <laughs> Don't go there. Let's not go there. We need to talk about Polari as well, very briefly. Polari. Polari. So this you, is a theatrical language, isn't it? Yes. I knew Kenneth Williams quite well. Well, okay. you weren't Julian doing and Countdown. Sandy. When, I didn't know anything about Julian uh, and Sandy around the horn. Or, or Kenneth, Williams Kenneth Williams was a brilliant actor, entertainer, raconteur, writer, and a lovely human being. He was in radio shows, firstly with Hancock's Half Hour, with Tony Hancock and Sid James. Tony Hancock didn't like him very much because uh, Kenneth had a wonderful voice and got a lot of laughs. And then he did... Um, Can you do a Kenneth Williams voice? No, no, no. I, I, I morph very quickly into... Larry Grace? No, no. Um, into Frankie uh, Howard. Frankie no, Howard. this is not, do you not? <laughs> he was in this programme called Beyond Our Ken, mm-hmm. later called, also called Round the Horn, mm-hmm. starring Kenneth Horn. Yes. And there was a sketch in it with Kenneth Williams and Hugh Paddock. 
Julian and Sandy. Julian and Sandy. And the Julian and Sandy... Spoke Polari. So Julian Slade and um, Sandy Wilson, they were two gay men, but at a time when being gay was, was against the law yes. still. so they needed a tribal and code exactly. or sort of banter, and Polari was it. And so the in-joke was, this was Julian... This, um, hello, my name's Julian, this is my friend Sandy. And so it was a camp gay in-joke and they spoke this language, Polari, mm-hmm. which you can now tell us more about. I can tell you a little bit about it. It comes from, it was called Pagliari originally, and it goes back to Pagliari in Italian, meaning to talk. And it was originally a trader's lingo. Uh, it's not really a language, but a, a lingo that um, was picked up or brought up by sailors as a kind of working pigeon in their um, you know, on their trips abroad. Um, but it's interesting because they then found when sailors came back, um, quite often they would find work in fairs, circuses and theatres. So there is a reason why in theatres we talk about rigging a set or striking a set as a kind of nautical nautical terms. But anyway, then it found a new home, this language in the gay community, as you say, because it was, you know, so marginalised that they really needed that kind of tribal language. And it was, it's just... A giant game of wordplay, really. So there was zhushing the rear, fixing your hair, or shaving the lallies. Your lallies were your legs. Now, zhuzh is probably the best legacy that we have. From Polari. From Polari. Zhuzh. Zhuzh. It's onomatopoeic, sort of replicates maybe the sound of ruffling your fingers over velvet. And you can say, well, I like your zhuzh, meaning I like your outfit, I like the way you've dressed up, or you're all zhuzhed up. Zhuzhed up. No one knows how to spell it. I think Oxford Dictionaries give three different spellings. Um, But it's wonderful. And of course, it's not used anymore. In fact, I think it was seen as being um, a bit non-PC. Curiously, that's the odd thing now. A lot of Kenneth Williams' material you couldn't do because somehow it's considered so... But in fact, um, most of my gay friends loved Julian and Sandy, loved everything that Kenneth did. I never heard it, I have to say. I need to listen in. Oh, can I say, they stand the test of time. Okay. Um, Beyond Our Ken, uh, absolutely brilliant. Um, Just round the horn, brilliant. Kenneth Williams was a real actor, and it was very frustrating to him. He felt... He told me that towards the end of his life, he felt he'd painted himself into a corner Mm -hmm. with funny voices and telling stories. His last entry in his diary says, "What's oh, what's the point? And he may well, we don't know, because the the verdict was inconclusive of the coroner's report, he may well have taken his own life. That's sad. And I rather suspect he did, because he told me that he kept a stash of poison in the cupboard, as his father had done. He told me when we were writing his autobiography, or rather he was writing it and reading it to me, when he got to his father's death, he told me, I don't know if it's in the book, he told me that his father had taken his own life. That was the sad end of a yeah. very funny man. Yeah, and if you want to like celebrate Polari, listen to Julian and Sandy okay. on Round the Horn. Fantastic. Shall we have some letters from our listeners? Okay. Uh, and the people are very, very kind. Well, not very kind, um, because not everything they say is necessarily as nice as it should be. Here's somebody saying, Charles, for fuck's sake, shut up. Uh, <laughs> we are tuning in to hear the woman, not you. Um, I think you've just made that up. I have made that up. I'm just <laughs> quoting my wife. That was the note she gave me this morning before we left. Here, are, let me pass you a couple of letters. See whether there's one here that you can, you'd like to answer. Gosh, we get lots of them. Oh, should I read you one from Canada? Okay. Because this is an international podcast. Hello, world. Hello from Canada, says David Smith. I enjoy your podcast a great deal, especially the recent egg corn episode. What we try and do, by the way, this is me speaking, is 
pick a different theme every week, but we will come back to certain themes that are popular. We've only scratched the surface with the theatre, so we must come back to that one day. It brought to mind a possible egg-corn encounter my wife and I had several years ago. Perhaps you can help us decipher it. We were on a Mediterranean cruise, and one day, while sitting near a couple in a public area of the ship, one of them sneezed, and the other responded with a hearty, salty fish. At least, that's what we thought we heard. We were wondering if you had any knowledge of the use of this phrase in response to a sneeze. We believe that the couple may have been Eastern European, judging from their accent. I've often wondered if salty may have been from the French santé, for health, but I have no clue as to what the fish might be. Whatever it was, since that day, every sneeze in our household is followed by a hearty salty fish. Oh, Isn't I that like interesting? Santé is certainly what the French say. They say à tes souhaits, actually. If you sneeze, they say à tes souhaits, meaning to your wishes. May your wishes come true. À tes souhaits. À tes souhaits. May your wishes come true. Yeah, that's the, that's what I was saying. I don't know about really? the fish part. It sounds like Russian salty fish. Salty fish. The Germans say gesundheit, <laughs> don't they? They say health, yes. Does that mean that means good health? Yes, yeah, santé in French is cheers. Ah, so they don't when say you're drinking, No, they say à tes souhaits. So if you sneeze in France, they say à tes souhaits. Yeah. And if you sneeze in German, they say gesundheit. Yeah. In Dutch, if you, sne- if you sneeze three times, they say morgen moi there, which translates to good weather tomorrow. Oh, that, what, in Dutch? Morgen, mo- I don't actually, I don't know Dutch, you know German, but morgen moi there, I think. Morgen moi there, yes. which means? Uh, it means the weather is good tomorrow, it looks good tomorrow. The weather is good tomorrow. Yeah. I got it to say it twice because I'm rather fond of double Dutch. Right, my question yes. is... So have we found the origin of salty fish no. for David Smith from Canada? Absolutely not. We haven't, but we think you might be right that the salty could be like santé, except no, it isn't santé. We've, disme- we've yeah, dismissed salty. So you're thinking it could be a Russian turn of phrase? I honestly, I genuinely well, don't know. if people know, send in the answer. Uh, it's simply to um, purple at somethingelse.com. Have you got okay. a letter? What, what's the letter you I do. You uh, Peter Jones... Peter Jones. Could be the actor, could be Dragon's Den. Anyway, whoever you are, thank you. It could be the shop. Um, Whilst watching a Channel 4 documentary, Moon Launch Live, I heard the studio commentator of the day describe the crowds awaiting the launch as lollygagging. I haven't heard this before. Um, I'd be interested to hear more. Um, Lollygagging? Lollygagging or lallygagging. It is US. Lally. We had lallies when we were talking about Pilates. Your lallies were your legs. They were. A lolly is a lollipop? Um... So what is lollygagging? I think lollygagging is a variation on lallygagging, which was the original. It simply means to dawdle, to fool around. Um, It can, I think, sort of be necking in the old sense of the word as well, what the Victorians wonderfully called furky toodling. Oh, Um, give us that word again, furky toodling. It could be one of your words of the week, furky Furky toodle is um, a bit of hugging, a bit of kissing, but not going... Too far. Too far. You know, Groucho Marx said... Uh, whoever called it necking had a very poor sense of anatomy. <laughs> I like that. As for its origin, well, the Oxford English Dictionary says unknown uh, because they haven't quite ascertained it yet. But some people think it might go back to dialect lolly, meaning the tongue, hence the lollies that we eat, the lollipops. Goodness. Um, I didn't know that. Yes. The dialect word for your tongue is a lolly? Lolly. And gag, meaning to deceive or trick. So maybe it was just due to sort of, um, you know, clever talk, clever speak. Why that then translated into dawdling and dallying, I'm not sure. Maybe you just talk around the point. Well done. I'm fascinated with the lollipop. That's, I've learned mm. something there. The lollipop is to do with a sort of a sure, pop, pop. What's the pop part? The pop part is maybe when you take it out of your mouth, when you're sucking, it goes pop. 
That's my How guess. How anyway. amazing! The tongue and the pop. That's that's gives my you guess. a lollipop. That's my guess. Okay, what are your three words of the week? These are new words, old words, fun words, words we haven't heard before, or words we have heard before, but we don't really know the meaning of or the origin yes. of. Yes, okay. Susie Dent. So, well, this one you will have heard of, uh, you Pratt. Um, oh, thank you. <laughs> Pratt. How do you Pratt, P-R-A-T. Yep. Um, it was an old term for a single buttock believe it or not um and a pratt fall in the theater which is why i bring this is oh. of course a comedy fall onto your buttocks how interesting yes so both buttocks is a pair of prats originally yeah a couple of prats a couple of prats so is it were it's like saying it's like when you call someone a prat it's just rude because it means bottom yes that's the origin of that expression yes. but a prat fall is when you fall on your backside yes it's what what sort of clowns and you know false. i love it a prat fall Oh, I think that's great. Have you got two more? Um, then I have um, something I really hope we are not. Somnificators. It's, what is it's, a somnificator? It's, um, what um, Amon Shea, who wrote a great book about reading the OED, says is the human equivalent of a cup of herbal tea. It's somebody who induces sleep in someone else. But actually, the human equivalent of drinking a cup of herbal well, tea is rather charming. Nice. It's somebody whose company is so soothing. And Say the word again. Som- um, somnificator. She was my perfect somnificator. Mm, it's not usually used in a particularly pleasant way, I think. Oh, somnificator means not, somebody not who induces sleep. That's a boring, boring, boring. Yep, yes. Go on. So the third one is something that I hope none of our listeners are going to do to us, um, which is to exibilate. To exibilate is to hiss a poor performer off the stage. Oh. And it's linked to, in some ways, to um, exploding. Because the very first meaning of exploding in the Roman theatre was to slow hand clap poor actors off the stage and the plode is linked to plaud as in applaud it's from the latin plaudere meaning to clap so to explode first meant to make such a loud noise with your hands that the performer would be booed off stage um and the, so the as in explosion that yes, explode so the originates loud, as it were loud detonation wow. goes back to that horrible expulsion of the so if you a bad actor. So a slow hand clap is an explosion. You're yes. exploding them. Yes. And uh, how interesting. Yeah. Uh, but exibilate is when you're... Yes. It's to give them the goose is another way of putting it. And what's... Oh, that's because the noise that geese the make. The noise of an angry goose. Yeah. Oh. It, it is time to, to wrap up. And one week... We'll talk about rap words, but we've been talking a bit about theatre words. We I'd love to hear we haven't rap. really, We haven't really begun to scratch the surface here. We haven't talked about playing to the gallery or who the fat lady is and why she didn't sing. But anyway, that's for oh, yes. another time. So, no, we haven't got time for that. Okay. Look, if you enjoyed the podcast, do review us, rate us to help spread the word. If you've got a question you'd like to answer, uh, just get in touch. It's uh, You can email us at purple at something, something without a G, else.com. And uh, as you know, Something Rhymes with Purple is a Something Else production produced by Paul Smith with additional production from Lawrence Bassett, Steve Ackerman and... Gully. Gully. Oh, no, no. Oh, Mrs. No, no. No, titty not. Hey, batter, batter. Are you ready to hit a home run with flavor? Step up to the plate and swing by Penn Station East Coast Subs, where every bite is a grand slam. Craving a classic Philly cheesesteak or maybe a savory chicken teriyaki? Or how about loading up on their delicious fresh-cut fries? Call it a triple play by ordering Penn Station's signature fresh-squeezed lemonade. When it comes to subs, Penn Station is the big league. Order online at penn-station.com or stop at a store near you. Penn Station East Coast Subs.